Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the Eldorado Performing Arts Center. Oh, it feels so good to have my voice back. I have not had it for like two weeks. Good for me. Maybe not great for you guys, but that's fine. Um, so hey, welcome to the Vox community. Uh, if this is your first time here, welcome. Um, we are a fun and quirky church that was started out of a podcast. Uh, you can learn everything about us that you need to know at voxoc.com or come and find me or anyone in a black shirt and ask whatever, um, whatever you want. Um, so we have a lot going on this morning, a bunch of moving parts and pieces, so I'm excited to get us there. But uh, I got two things uh, I want to do. Uh, before we get there, uh, we're just going to get right into it. So uh, when I was driving in this morning, um, I'm usually always thinking about, like, you know, what I'm going to say on stage. I'm going to get up there and make a fool of myself. I'm going to talk about the Ducks losing last night. Um, i got to get ahead because there's going to be football stuff later, so we just have to get that out of the way. Um, and I was listening to uh, one of these podcasts that I love that's actually more about kind of the startup industry and uh, tech development and that kind of thing. And they were talking about autonomous driving vehicles, and uh, one of the the entrepreneurs basically said, um, you know, instead of trying to go after these big giants in the space like Google and that type of thing, I want to go after a very small problem and try to solve a small problem to then get at the larger problem. And um, that was such a really interesting reminder for me, uh, just reframing how we came into starting this church in the first place, and um, which is perfect. That gets me into talking about Table Fellowship um, and, and what that's about and, and where that is. So I was just remembering how when... When this thing started, um, uh, Mike Geary, our, our lead pastor, started a podcast uh, two, almost two years ago now. And after leaving a number of churches that he had led, he was stuck with the situation of, I have all these things that I want to talk about that I've never been able to talk about, haven't had the permission, haven't had the freedom, and I need a space to do that. Well, podcasting became the best place to do that. And so we started that thing. And then after a while of making a lot of the, the commentary and challenges and wrestling with a lot of hard stuff, it was like, well, this doesn't, um, this goes nowhere if there isn't a people that can actually engage in that conversation and come together around that conversation. Like, what could the church actually look like if it was the safest place to talk about anything. So here we've arrived now, and you're sitting in these seats that we opened up uh, about a year and a half ago, where um, our number, one of our important core values is uh, that the church should be the safest place to talk about anything. So how does that play out in a corporate environment like this? I mean, you guys don't get to talk back much to us. It's a stage. It's funky. It's weird. You know, we get the mic, and we get to come out here and just say whatever we want, right? And you just keep showing up. So thank you, guys. But importantly... So there's two ways that this plays out as far as like what it means for us to have a conversation and try to kind of push forward this other narrative. One, uh, we give you guys the opportunity to ask questions uh, via text, right? From your seats, during a sermon, during our Q&A. And then every, every week we try to answer some of those questions as wide and as dynamic as they are. The, one of the challenging things for us has been that uh, we're kind of not a church that's in a hurry where you can just cherry pick a Sunday and then say, okay, well, that Sunday was that experience, so that's what this church might be about. That would be really hard for us because it's if you take the entire year's worth of content and questions that we've answered, um, it's a pretty big and wide process. And so uh, we're not a church that is trying to move too fast. We're taking our time. Um, the world is moving too fast, and we're just saying, let's slow down. Let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation. Let's make room for each other um, and make room for disagreement, make room for understanding. So that's kind of how the corporate version of that works out. The more community version of that for us is um, 
this thing we've started called Table Fellowship. Uh, for some folks, uh, this has been, the question has been, oh, well, is this just like a small group or is this just like a D group or a cell group or an E group? You know, add whatever you want to it group um, that takes place during the midweek. And sure, you could you know, see it that way. However, in regards to what Mike was talking about with making room for us to be able to talk about anything and that we're all in process, the only way we can accomplish that is, a, is that is by positioning. So it means that we have to offer you guys room, space, and an opportunity to connect with each other to be able to have these conversations. Um, you know, for example, like how well do conversations go on social media, right? <laughs> Uh, we all know that those are pretty much a nightmare. So, but when we found out, though, that face-to-face, -face, you know, those relationships develop, um, grace is offered, and permission is actually created. And so it's necessary that we create a way for you guys to actually meet each other, get to know each other, and open up room for some of those difficult conversations. So, um, so table fellowships are gatherings of anywhere from 10 to 30 people, depending on the, the host space that we have. We offer these once a month, every second um, week of the month on Wednesday night. Uh, what we do, it's basically uh, a dinner, food, and hanging out and getting to meet a lot of people that come here. Uh, Mike does stream in live um, during that time, and he, he shares a little bit about a vision that we have called Personal Table, which is the extension of table fellowship in your own lives and your own spheres of influence. Like Our hope is that through all of this somehow, um, you might become an activist and realize, you know what, I can open my own home, and I can open up my own table and invite my neighbors and my friends and coworkers around it and start to you know, make room for these other conversations to have that maybe you've never had before. Um, that's really deeply what our hope is. And so this is, you know, Table Fellowship is a first step towards that because that's a really scary thing for some people to be like, well, how do I open my own home and make that a safe space? Well, we're going to model that and we're going to show you guys how to do that first. And so Table Fellowship um, is really kind of your first step towards that. You can still sign up. Uh, we made, uh, we open up room every single month uh, that you can go. Uh, go to voxoc.com and uh, that's right there on the front. So uh, I invite you guys to that this week. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to one of them. I haven't picked one yet, uh, but I will be there. It's fine. I, I, get the, I get that flexibility and freedom. I love it. <laughs> Thanks, Carrie. Thanks for laughing at me. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, I have uh, one little announcement. We don't really do this, but just seasonally as uh, things go on, um, we do have needs. Uh, we do need a little bit more help with our uh, campus setup and teardown. So if you were looking for a way to jump in and get involved here um, on our team, uh, we are willing to bring you right on and get you involved in that. Um, for a long time prior to even launching Table Fellowship, the only way to really start getting to know people that were with us was actually participating on our team. So uh, that, that door is still open. Uh, so if you have a truck and you would like to offer that to us, that's uh, <laughs> something we need. Uh, so yeah, so uh, to give you guys an idea of what we're going to do this morning, I'm going to bring Mike out here on screen in a minute. He'll be coming in uh, from the great state of Ohio to answer some of our questions. Uh, Tim is then going to come out, um, heckle Mike on some football dumb jokes, and then, um, and then we're going to do some teaching. <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, and then we're going to do some worship and some response, and we're going to do communion together. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Daniel. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, the, the beautiful thing about doing communion together and is that, uh, you know, nothing, uh, nothing that we hold too tightly holds strong at the, at the table. Um, Jesus is always confronting us, always compelling us, and always asking to see him more clearly and deeply. And we think that communion is a great place to start with wanting to desire that. Um, so we'll be doing communion uh, kind of mid-worship. Um, at the back end, uh, we have uh, the elements up here. You will dip the bread in the juice, not drink from the cup, as two of our guys tried to backstage before we came out here. Uh, we have gluten-free over there. 
And um, we also will have uh, some of our community pastors available uh, back here uh, by these two doors to pray with you if you guys have needs. Um, our community pastors are on site um, in Orange Lanyards. If you need a conversation, if you're looking to get some help, you need some spiritual help, um, looking for a connection to find further counseling or anything like that, we do offer some of those resources. So um, you could find one of them um, and start that conversation today or email us at care at voxoc.com. Man, that was a lot. We good? Did I talk really fast? Yes. That is, that is what I do. Good. I'm on par. Okay, so let's get this going. Mike, are you there? <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it. Can you hear me, Andy? Oh, yeah, I can hear you. Andy, I've tried for weeks now to stay in my flip-flops and my shorts. And I have, I have finally been defeated. <laughs> I have socks on. I have a hat. Oh, I have a raincoat. It's unfair, Andy. You got a beard, too. I mean, that's, that's, now that's a whole new mic. Can you, oh, can you see that? Oh, yeah. Can I mean, see barely. <laughs> Oh, whatever, Mr. Caterpillar above my lips. I don't even want to hear it from you, buddy. Good Lord. Well, good morning, Voxers. I'm getting out of here. All right, good. get out of here, Andy. You talked uh, way too fast and for far too long. Let me just tell you that right now. Hey, everybody. I'm so glad to see you. Hello and good morning. And, uh, and my Lord, we've got so many good questions. We're going to have to do a Facebook thing this week just to get to them all. But we thought we'd do a couple um, right out of the gate. Thanks for being here this morning. Hello from the great state of Ohio. All right, question number one. Um, Mike, are you saying we don't uh, go after stomping out evil and just respond when necessary to resist evil? All right, this is a great question in reference to last week. We talked about parable of the wheat and the weeds and um, and the servants. Remember, there's the uh, a landowner sows seed in a field. An enemy comes and sows weeds in that same field, but we don't see the weeds until they start growing up together. The servants, so us in this parable, ask the landowner, hey, do you want us to go ahead and weed this out? And, uh, and, he, and, and the landowner says, no, 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 let them grow together. And then the angels at the end of the age will separate the wheat and the weeds. And so, so that's what this is in reference to. Could you, go, could you share some real world examples of how we Christians tend to try to separate and remove evil and contrast that with how we could more appropriately choose to resist? Now, this, this is worthy of, I think, a bigger podcast. This is actually a great question. Um, because what, what, well, go back to question one, because that was not an answer. Um, because what, what I was trying to, to say last week is the idea that one of the things that Jesus uh, is painting a picture of is that the, 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 Jewish, the Jewish Messiah, they thought, was going to come and purge and separate and purify Israel at the beginning of his ministry. And Jesus teaches all over the place that he was going to do that at the end of uh, his ministry, at the end of the age when he returns. And so the temptation has always been, uh, while Jesus was on earth, and certainly since he's um, ascended to the heavens, has been for the people of God to try to take the task that only Jesus himself 
um, is worthy of doing to take that upon themselves. And so you have, like, you, you remember Peter striking down the high priest's ear. You've got uh, disciples wanting to call down fire on a Samaritan village that was hostile to Jesus. You, you've, got, you've got instances where people want to separate and determine who the wheat and the weeds are and then to punish the weeds. And, um, and so real-world examples are, are things like this. Anytime Christians decide that the enemy is flesh and blood, they have now stepped into territory uh, that only belongs to Jesus. And what I mean by that is that Paul is really clear that our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is the powers and the principalities. So as much as we may, may not like Hillary Clinton or President Trump or former President Obama or whatever it is, they're not the enemy. The Democrats are not the enemy. The Republicans are not the enemy. Uh, uh, you know, even I mean, you take this to the to the extreme. I mean, ISIS isn't isn't even the enemy. What the Scripture teaches is that the enemy isn't flesh and blood. If it has flesh and blood, we fight for it. We don't fight against it. Now, that doesn't mean we said that we're just passive and we're like sheep to the slaughter, but it does mean that we resist in the same way that Jesus did. So how did Jesus resist? By loving enemies, by praying for those who persecute you, by blessing those. And and people will say instantaneously when they hear that, oh, well, that's just ridiculous. I mean, no country could live that way. Uh, and, and you're right. Jesus was teaching disciples about how to be in the kingdom. And so resisting evil for us means, first of all, not vilifying and, and demonizing other people, respecting the image-bearing nature of all of the human beings, no matter how scuzzy or disgusting we're tempting to think they are. The second thing is to refrain from any uh, acts of violence um, against another, unless, and, and then and even Christians here disagree in terms of unless it's in self-defense, um, uh, it, it is it is to not pollute the evil. So, so when someone does evil to you, it's very easy just to return that. Um, and so the kingdom response is, is when evil is done to us, we do good to others. And I realize this sounds like kind of crazy. Uh, exactly. It's upside down. So we just finished watching uh, season one of The Stranger Things, uh, which is this Netflix, you know, kids, not really kids mystery thing. And they have this place in there. If you I'm sorry if I'm spoiling anything, but it's called the upside down. And it's kind of the mirror image of this world. Um, Jesus is the cosmic upside down for those of you who are following the extended metaphor in, in the sense that literally you take what's valued in the world, you flip it upside down. And that's what's valued uh, in Jesus. And so to, to be a person that resists evil but does not contribute to it, it's one of the hardest things, I think, for us to get our heads around. So more to come on that. I think it's a phenomenal question. Question number two. You guys look interested. Thank you. Most weeks, someone shares their story uh, Yep, in, the, uh, in our services. Seldom is it a clear-cut victory, but rather of a reflection um, of a work in progress. That's totally true. We do that on purpose. This definitely seems to mirror real life. People struggle with depression, anxiety, addiction, emotional, physical, um, and sexual abuse, and on and on. Is the best we can expect uh, that God will be with us through our trials and problems, recovery, etc., rather than completely resolve things? And if so, why is this since God has the ability to completely heal us and make us whole? Man, what a phenomenal question. So so the 30-second answer, and I would, man, I would want to take loads of time to talk about this more, is, is yes and no. 
in the sense of when you study the scriptures, there are promises of transformation and healing and deliverance. There are promises of, of our growing in Christ's likeness and becoming more like Jesus. There are promises of the renewing of our mind and those sorts of things. Uh, and I don't want to I don't want to minimize those things even remotely. So I hold out on the one hand that absolutely. Uh, that God still heals, that God still rescues, that God still delivers, that that I've seen that happen. I've had that happen. Um, and so so I, I, I am different than the person I was um, five years ago, uh, by God's grace. I'm much better looking. And, um, and so, you know, I, I've seen some of the great promises sort of play out. But on the flip side, Far more often, I see the mundane, the ordinary, the the struggle, the limping, the 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 crawling through recovery. I mean, absolutely. So I'm sympathetic to both sides, and to me, um, uh, both sides are to be expected, and we're to hold them in a bit of tension. I, the best I hope for isn't just the slog of life. I do hope, expect, pray for, and yearn that God will do amazing things. Absolutely. At the same time. I'm realistic in the sense that that that's normally um, that's an exception uh, rather than the rule. Now, why that is? Well, the Bible gives various answers, but here's one of them: that uh, the kingdom of God, in the form of Jesus of Nazareth, has come and is coming, and so we live. Where Jesus has come the first time, his kingdom is real, his um, uh, his healing is available, his spirit is powerful and present to us, and his kingdom isn't fully here yet, meaning we're still waiting for its consummation. And so there is still the reality of our adversary, there's still the reality of sin and death, there's the reality of addiction, the reality of choices that we've made that have hurt us, choices that we haven't made that have hurt us, and choices that, that other people have made that have hurt us. And, and so we live at this strange intersection of God's kingdom being here and its healing and deliverance and power available and present, and all of that not being fully here yet because of the reality of sin and death. And so to hold both of those in tension is a very, very difficult thing. But the scriptures invite us to do that because you take the book of Psalms, for instance. You have Psalms of great triumph and victory. You have Psalms of great distress and disorientation. And both sides are true. God is faithful and good in the midst of all of it. And, and, and frankly, my view is uh, we don't know why things go the way that they go. We can't say that it's all God's will because other wills are done on earth. Um, why he chooses to heal dramatically in, in some cases and not in other cases, I, I can't even begin to fathom. So uh, I just don't want to. I don't. I don't want to think. I don't want us to think that this is somehow an either-or choice. Um, I think that that God would invite us to hold both sides of this, and uh, you know, both sides are represented by the three guys in the fiery furnace in Daniel. He's, they say that you know Nebuchadnezzar, God will deliver us, but even if He does not, we will not bow down to you, O King. And so for me, that's where the balance exists. Now, again, so much more could be said, and so much more will be said, because I'm going to invite Tim out now to insult my football team. But that's okay, because our football teams will play each other, and then we'll see how it will go. <laughs> Mike, May God bless you. you all. Pray for us in Ohio. We love you. All right. Thanks, Mike. <clears throat> I'm going to show great restraint. I'm going to show great 
restraint. I just got back from Yale, uh, giving some lectures at Yale, and God is really at move at Yale. There's spiritual revival among non-Christian faculty who are super interested in the gospel, so we should be really encouraged. And, and I was, it was a hard trip back. It was a six and a half hour flight. And I walked through that door. I sit down and my friend texts me and says, can you believe what happened to Ohio State? And I was like, God, you, you just reward faithful service. <laughs> Thank you so much. It just was awesome. <clears throat> hey, we're not, done, we're not done with questions yet. We have another great question. Um, I've had a long road with depression, and that is a reality that Mike, Mike just talked about, that in a fallen world, we are deeply affected by many different aspects of this world, and depression is one of them. I had a father who struggled with depression his entire life. I've had a long road with depression, hospitalized many times, suicide attempts, etc. So sorry to hear that. I started to wonder if sometimes this could be a spiritual attack. Now, just for a second, this is how we're different from the ancient church. The ancient church would not be surprised by that whatsoever. The ancient church would have said, of course, part of this is spiritual attack. Absolutely. It's the modern church that we're just embarrassed by it. We see how Hollywood presents the occult and the demonic realm, and we just say, oh, we don't want any part of that. So 25% of everything Jesus said had to do with the demonic. Uh, every New Testament writer mentions the demonic. And so, of course, I would look at that situation and say, if you're a follower of Jesus, and even non-followers of Jesus, Satan is the god of this world. The New Testament grants that. And that's why we're, we are to be aware of his schemes. I just finished a book, literally just sent in the manuscript a couple months ago, on spiritual battle and marriage, a really neglected topic. So some of this, I'm, I'm, we decided I would tackle this because I just finished writing a book about the spiritual realm. So here's my question. I'll say devil, but you can include any evil from the supernatural world. Let's use devil. The Bible doesn't shy away from that. Go ahead. Next. Uh, can the devil read my mind? Can he plant thoughts in my head? How can we be attacked spiritually? Can he attack us physically as well? I've always been told the believer can't be possessed. Is that true? Looking for biblical proofs. <sighs> okay, very quickly. Um, can Satan read your mind? There is no evidence in the Old or New Testament that Satan shares the property of omniscience. Only God is omniscient, which means Psalm 139, God not only knows your thoughts, he knows where your potential thoughts could be. We have no indication whatsoever from the New Testament or the Old Testament that Satan can read your mind. However, it sure seems like demons can read your mind because they've been studying you so proficiently. In other words, I've been married to my wife 26 years. It sure seems like she can read my mind because she's been observing me. But she can't literally read my mind. So there's no doubt that demons who have been studying you, your marriage, your relationships, it sure seems like they can read your mind, but they've been students of you, and so they kind of know your tendencies, and they devise plans based on what they've observed, weaknesses that you exhibit, right? Footholds that you allow to exist in your life that Paul says you need to get rid of these footholds because Satan wants to take advantage of these footholds. Now. Can demons plant thoughts in your mind? I think the answer is yes, and I think we have biblical evidence from this. In the Old Testament, David has, uh, takes a census of his army. Now, on one hand, you would think, well, that's what a king should do, but he was warned not to do that. 
He was warned not to put your faith in the army, put your faith in God. So even his advisors told him in 1 Chronicles, do not take a census of your army with this kind of attitude. But Satan, it literally says, caused him, incensed him to take the sentence, and it wound up to be a great defeat for the army of Israel. So we assume that he incensed him to do this by planting thoughts in his mind. Second, we know... Um, Judas was, uh, his betrayal of Jesus was prompted by Satan. We know that Ananias' greed to, and to lie about the offering that was going to be offered to the New Testament church was sponsored by uh, demons. And then even Jesus, Satan was able to plant thoughts in the mind of Jesus. Now this is interesting. During his tempting, he's brought to a, a mountain in Jerusalem. And on that mountain, Satan shows him all the kingdoms of the world. Now, obviously, from that one small mountain, he can't see all the nations of the world, yet Satan shows him all the nations of the world mentally. So Jesus sees all the power structures, and Satan makes an interesting claim that Jesus does not refute. He says, I can give you these kingdoms. Interesting that Jesus says, no, you can't. Who said you own these kingdoms? No, Jesus understood what John understood is this world belongs to the evil one. Jesus does not refute that, but he doesn't take the bait. So theologians like Clint Arnold at Biola University, who's one of the top experts on Paul's handling of the demonic, says that, yes, Satan can plant thoughts in your head, and we need to be aware of that. Can Satan affect us physically? Absolutely. We see evidence of that throughout the entire New Testament and Old Testament. So men and women, we have an adversary, and that adversary is very much studying you as an individual, you as a couple, you as a family, and seeking to disrupt you as much as possible. Now, I think um, I'm going to uh, preach a series on this. How do we tell if this is just a normal argument between you and your spouse, you and a child, or, or someone, or if this is Satan trying to get his hooks into it? I think there are certain criteria that we can look at that says, I think something's going on more at box than just us disagreeing. I think Satan's trying to get a foothold in how we disagree, and I want to address that this morning. Uh, so we have to be aware of the foothold Satan's trying to get in this church and in the relationships that you have. So it, it's going to always be part. It's not all Satan, but at the same time, we have to be aware that's one of the options that could be fueling things like depression and suicidal thoughts. So we're going to have a holistic approach. We're going to see good doctors, good therapists. At the same time, a spiritual remedy should be at play as well because we want to be biblical in our approach. We'll talk more about that later. That's a very quick answer to a very thoughtful uh, question, and we'll be praying for you as well. Speaking of praying, and speaking of Mike's answer, uh, we, live in a, we live in a hard world. We live in an evil world, and via social media, we're more aware of this evil than we have ever been before, and it is heartbreaking to look at the attacks that are happening today, uh, the terrorism that is alive today, and we should always appreciate the men and women who put themselves in harm's way to address this terrorism, to address this evil, and this is a tough um, time to be joining uh, the military services here, but we have a young man from our church who is in fact going to do that. On Monday, he reports to boot camp as a Marine, and that is Wyatt Gomer. So we want Wyatt to stand. Thank you, Wyatt. Thank you. Wyatt is the son of Juliana, who part, was part of the launch team, works with our children, and Matt. And so we'd like them to stand as well. 
And Wyatt, we just want to tell you that we really admire what you're doing, and um, we live in a, a world full of evil, and God addresses that evil through people um, resisting it, both spiritually and physically. Uh, so we do believe that God uses uh, armed forces to f push back terrorists and the evil that is in the world today. So we do believe that that happens. So Wyatt, I want to extend a blessing to you uh, with boot camp on Monday. Wow. Okay, Marine boot camp. So everybody extend a hand towards Matt, Juliana, uh, I'm sorry, uh, to Wyatt and Matt and Juliana. Father, we love you and we thank you that you are aware of what's happening in this world today and it breaks your heart. Father, we think of all the, uh, the ways behind the scenes that you are addressing evil. But Father, there are some very overt ways as well that uh, when ISIS attacks, when evil dictators hurt innocent people, uh, we sometimes have to respond militarily. And so, Father, it'll be men like and women like Wyatt that do this. So we pray for his protection. We pray that as he goes through boot camp, he would feel your presence every step of the way. I pray that you would anoint him with relationships, uh, people that will pray together, encourage each other spiritually. Lord, I pray for Juliana and Matt. It's hard to watch your son go off. And I pray that they would feel your presence as well. So, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. We do pray your kingdom come. But in the meantime, uh, we pray that evil would be fought back and we'd be pushed back. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wyatt, thank you so much. Thank you. <clears throat> Uh, two weeks ago, I said Vox uh, was a safe place to belong, but what did that mean? I made the argument that I'd like to follow up that Vox is safe to have really hard conversations uh, that require cognitive complexity, if you remember two weeks ago. I want to follow up on this line of thinking that part of being a part of Vox is that we talk to each other in a certain kind of way. We don't take our cues from the media. We don't take our cues from how politics is done today. We take our cues from the New Testament on how we treat each other precisely in those moments where we really disagree with each other. Something is said from up front or something is said as you're leaving Vox or you have table fellowship and a topic is brought up and it is obvious that you disagree with each other. It's obvious that you feel very passionately in your disagreement. So what does the New Testament have to say about how we should speak the truth in love? I think today we're losing a sense of the sacred. As I look at our country, I think the sacred, we have very few things that we think is really sacred today. And I think we're losing sacred communication is what I want to try to reclaim. But look at these images. Uh, this is a, a, a woman, a, a teenager, who went to Auschwitz, and while at Auschwitz took a selfie. And here is the selfie that really garnered a lot of outrage. In other words, I, I don't know if you've ever been to a concentration camp before, but by the way, that's a huge argument why we have men like Wyatt, are these concentration camps that happen, and we're liberated by armed forces. It, it is a sacred territory. We went to Dachau. When you walk through those gates, it's sacred territory. So the fact that she took a selfie smiling 
like, like it was at Disneyland. Maybe it was unfair, the criticism, but people said, no, Auschwitz is sacred. You don't do that. Uh, here's a famous actress from the Big Bang Theory, and she just posted this on 4th of July, not thinking you would get a bunch of uh, pushback, but notice what her dogs are sitting on. Right, it's the American flag. And by the way, give her credit, she apologized. She said, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to offend people. It was 4th of July, but her dogs were sitting on it. This is interesting, this uh, lower left, this is Abercrombie and Finch, came out with this clothing line that Jewish um, uh, readers uh, said, wait a minute, that looks like a concentration camp with the Jewish star. And Abercrombie and Finch said, oh man, okay, we blew it. Um, okay, we sort of kind of see that. Uh, but again, there's certain areas you do not cross over into. Uh, here's another one that maybe is more controversial. Uh, this is a, a shoe, $585 shoe, that is called what we call poverty, uh, borrowing from pro uh, poverty to make something chic. Right? So this is a distressed shoe with duct tape on it, laces broken, beat up, but uh, they're appropriating poverty and turning it into something chic. Now, now, there was pushback on this, right? The poor have always been sacred. Jesus himself said, blessed are the poor, right? The poor should be cared of. They should not be taken advantage of to make a chic fashion statement. So they got a lot of pushback. So let me make a controversial statement, and I don't say this just to be controversial, but I want to use this as a test case. I said this at Biola University, and it did not go over well. I said this at E.V. Free Fullerton, it did not go over very well. So I am fairly certain it's not going to go over well here as well. But let me say this with all sincerity. I think, and I am concerned, that we are sending an unintended message to our poor brothers and sisters. If you go to Skid Row, you see men and women who are wearing clothes because they have no other option whatsoever. I have increasingly become concerned with a fashion statement that is the rage at Biola University, and that is tattered jeans, jeans with holes in them. Right? Now, I don't think this is intended, but the unintended message is that I wear holes in my jeans as a fashion statement where our poor brothers and sisters on Skid Row, that's all we have. And I wonder what they think as they look at Biola students, let me pick on them, who are an elite, private, expensive Christian university and they're wearing tattered jeans as a fashion statement. I wonder what the unintended message is. Now, bummer of a day for you to be here with tattered jeans, okay? Just <laughs> bummer of a day. I am so sorry. A couple I deeply respect. Uh, they wear tattered jeans at Biola, their faculty. I deeply respect their walk with the Lord, and I do not question it one second. And they look at me like, Tim, what? That's kind of crazy. Okay, so whether you agree with this or not, and just because I'm saying it from up front doesn't give it a whole lot of more weight, right? So some of you are thinking, I'm so glad he finally said that. I probably could count you on one hand, but I'm, I'm glad that there may be some of you. Some of you are thinking, I that's horribly unfair and kind of just ticks me off. Okay, that's going to be our test case for this morning. What do you do when a comment is said from up front by me, Mike, or the teaching team? Uh, what happens? 
And what do you do with that is going to separate us from non-believers. How we handle when emotions get going and passions run high, how do we have good disagreements, sacred disagreements with each other? I think we're losing the sense of the sacred today. Look at what one calm theorist said. Um, uh, Marilyn McIntyre said, to converse was to foster community, to commune with, to dwell in a place with others. Conversation was understood to be a life-sustaining practice. We give life to each other as we have conversations and converse with each other. A blessing and a craft to be cultivated for the common good. So our disagreements with each other can actually strengthen our, each of us. We know that from calm theory. Langston Hughes, next slide, an American poet, um, wrote one word a day. That was his discipline. Langston Hughes, one of the most um, revered American poets, wrote one word a day when he would write a poem like Dreams. Why? Because he knew the power of words. Now, he wasn't a Christian, but that's the book of Proverbs. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. And we need to be very careful if we impart life or death. So I, I want to adopt the practice of Langston Hughes is to say, yeah, it's okay to be upset with each other. It's okay to disagree with each other. But pick your words very carefully because I can impart life and I can impart death right, to each other, and so I need to view my mouth as a loaded gun, to which one Georgetown linguist said, by the way, when you get shot, it doesn't matter if it was intentional or not. Getting shot hurts. So I want, to re I want to revere what the book of Proverbs says, that our language is really powerful, and let's respect that and practice what Langston Hughes says, which, of course, in an age of social media, we just, we just whip off responses so quick, right? I, I want to slow down the process just a little bit. Next slide. So unwholesome speech. It's always interesting that Paul says in his writings, I want you to put off something, then I want you to put on something. Here's what he wants us to put off. Unwholesome speech. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away. Next slide. Let's take a look at uh, what he's saying. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but literally put it away. What does he mean by unwholesome? In the Greek, that word was used for food mostly, mostly to describe rotted food. So take a look at these images, right? Rotted food with maggots and, um, and mold, right? Next slide. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about. You know, I once did a really weird uh, um, exercise for my students in one of my advanced classes. I, I bought each one of my students, 40 students, a banana. By the way, just as an aside, you know how expensive that is? That was kind of work out financing at Albertsons to get 40 bananas, but I did. And I gave each one a banana. I said, you are not to eat this banana. You are to watch this banana rot for an entire semester. Yes, yes, yes. At the end of the semester, man, we had to, those things were in plastic bags. You had to wear hazmat suits. I mean, it was horrible. My youngest son, Jeremy, found my banana and threw it away. He said, Dad, that's gross. I said, no, 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 that was an assignment. He goes, Dad, that's gross. That's what Paul's saying. I want you to put away rotted communication. Now, what does he mean by rotted? This is what he means. Next slide. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this is a, a quote that one of my students, they had to keep a journal about looking at their rotted bananas and write about it. This is what one student said. Sin is deceptively dangerous. If kept unchecked, sin is like a cancer because it slowly corrupts and only continues to grow and worsen beneath the surface. I can see the banana for what it is, rotted. 
I just need the discernment to see my sin, my communication for what it is, and we can have rotted communication. Now, what does Paul mean by that? Next slide. So he says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Uh, and then he says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away. Now, what do each one of these means? Bitterness is this. You have allowed something to cement in your life. We, in communication theory, define bitterness as anger that has cemented. So you're bitter towards a person. And you know you're bitter because any time you think about this person, it's continually negative thoughts. You've allowed that, as Paul would say, I want you to deal with that before the sun goes down, but you've not done that. You've allowed that anger, that resentment towards a church, towards a person, towards a family member to cement. Psychologists will say once it's cemented, it's incredibly hard to get rid of. Paul is saying, do not let your anger or resentment cement towards another person. I want you to deal with it in a timely fashion. Next, wrath and anger. Very similar in the Greek, but wrath is an explosive outburst. Right, So I'm angry, and I know I'm angry because whenever you bring up this political situation, this theological situation, or something somebody says from up front, your response is anger, and it just pours forth. It, you almost can't stop it. That's wrath. You've allowed it to get to such a place where somebody mentions something, and you're just like, oh, and you let it out. Um, clamor and slander are very interesting in the Greek. Slander is personal. I say something about another person to another person. So let's say um, you're really bugged by somebody here at Box, and what you do is you're walking out to the parking lot. You say to that person you're walking with, can you believe so-and-so? I cannot believe how they act, or I can't believe Mielhoff said that from the front about ripped jeans. That's just ludicrous, right? Now, if you say that to enough people, you get clamor. Clamor is when a whole group has been influenced by your slander. You've literally turned the perception of a group of people against a person. That moved from slander to clamor. And Paul is saying, I want you to get rid of all of that. I do not want that happening in our churches. Now, he gives us motivation, which is interesting. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Interesting. The Holy Spirit loves each person in this room. You are made in God's image. God will refer to you as his children, and he the Holy Spirit does not want you talking to other children of God in such a way. Do not have bitterness towards a person. Do not do slander. Don't let it turn into clamor because you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit loves each one of you. Right? My kids can be wrong. I have three kids. Uh, and I can think they're dead wrong. But I, I need to talk to them in an appropriate way. And if I'm too angry to do that, boy, that's the first lesson of parenting, right? You never parent in anger. Kind of takes all the fun out of it. But we are not to parent in anger. So there's times you send your child to the room and you do not go upstairs right then. Right? It would not be good. So I need to just sit, cool down. Right? And then I go and talk to a person. Man, that's hard to do. But Paul is saying, I want this to be put away with. This should not represent us. Next slide. It grieves the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5.1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Do not talk about God's children in ways it makes. It, it, it really grieves God. I mean, you, you can critique my children, but do not do it harshly. So let me give you one illustration. I was at a Pop Warner football game. My youngest son, Jeremy, he was on an amazing Pop Warner football team. We came one game away two years in a row from going to the national championships in Florida, which we, paid, we prayed every parent sports 
prayer, which is let my son do really well and let us lose in triple overtime, right? Because we don't want to have to raise $20,000 and go to Florida, okay? Now, we never told our kids that, nor is that child here today, right? But um, so I'm at, a, I'm, at a, I'm at a scrimmage. I'm grading papers. And this is, this is a scrimmage, so the coaches are on the field, right? We are playing this team, but we're not keeping score. We're playing a team. We're destroying this team. This team never got a first down the entire scrimmage. We now have our third string uh, team in. We're just killing them. Jeremy's been out of the game forever, right? I'm just sitting there. Well, this one coach grabs one of their kids. This is the end of the game. They're losing. Some parents said it was 50 to nothing. I mean, it was crazy. Grab this kid pulled him in and, and yelled at this child, what is the blank wrong with you? I, I mean, this was what, 14, 15-year-olds. I look up from sitting on the sidelines, and I said, hey, knock it off. And I look back, and the mother next to me leans over and says, he's still looking at you. <laughs> I said, that's fine. I got a highlighter right now. I'll hit him with a highlighter. <laughs> Doesn't just leave a mark, it stings. Right? That wasn't even my child. That wasn't even my child. I didn't even know that child. Could you imagine if that was my child? And a man grabs the face mask of my child and swears at him in public like that? I would have been off that chair in a second. And you'd see what a red belt can do in Shaolin Kung Fu, right? Because <laughs> that's my child. Don't tr you can disagree with my child. You can correct my child. You can even scold my child in certain ways. We're used to that in sports, but you don't lay a hand on my child. And you do not swear at my child like that. And you don't berate my child. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying. We don't berate each other because we're children of God. We treat each other differently. Next slide. Wholesome speech. Thank you, three of you. Thank you. <laughs> Some of you are still smarting from the gene thing. I think I'm not, I'm not I think my, my applause, Level has gone down. Okay, wholesome speech. This is what the Holy Spirit wants us to do, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. What do we mean by edification? It is speaking truth to each other, but in love. If, we, if we're not ready to do it in love, we're not ready to speak the truth to each other. So that's the Christian qualification that we need to take a look at for the need of the moment, that we can give grace to each other. So at the end of the day, even if I'm correcting you, even if I disagree with you, at the end of the day, I've affirmed you as a person and given grace to you, and I've imparted life even as we really disagree with each other. Next slide. Grace to others. I love Ephesians 4.32, perhaps the most convicting verse of the entire New Testament in my estimation. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So God didn't treat you the way that you deserved. Look at Romans chapter 1. We were in a death spiral away from God, and yet God gave us Jesus. Uh, look at Matthew 18.33. Should you not have mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had mercy on you, Jesus would say. So we have grace graceful, hard conversations. We bestow mercy to each other, and we seek to edify, speaking the truth in love. Next. But how do you do this? Let's be really practical. Here's a horrible checklist. Here's a checklist that takes all the fun out of confronting a person, right? But I think this is a, a, a biblical checklist. So let me give you a for instance real quick. Uh, I speak for Family Life Ministries along with my wife Noreen. We're going to be in Portland next weekend. We've been doing this for over like 20 years. 
Um, and we do a talk on sexual intimacy. And during that talk, uh, I mentioned pornography. Well, we get evaluated by the conference. There's 90 people who are given evaluation forms. One woman misinterpreted, I think, what I said. And she said, I'm so furious at a speaker who would condone pornography. Now, it was sent to the head of the speaker team who sent it to me. My dad was addicted to pornography the day he died. I, I have huge boundaries when it comes to pornography, right? So to, for her to think that I'm condoning pornography from up front, I was mad. So he sent it to me, and I said, I'd like to, I'd like to apply to this. <laughs> I sat down on my laptop. I'm like, boom, underline, bold, italics, boom, you know, just boom. <laughs> Then, the horrible thing about being a, a teacher is you, you've spoken on this in the past. So the Holy Spirit shows up, and it's really annoying. I'm, I'm, and the Holy Spirit, whoa, whoa. And you want to say to the Holy Spirit, seriously? I'm like your project today? Is there nothing else to be done? You know, how's the second coming coming? It's like, you know what I mean? So, one, the Holy Spirit, have you prayed about this? No. No. I don't need to. I can't believe she, she impugned my character. No, I did not pray about this, right? Second, what is my motivation for doing this? Ah! I want to set her straight. I do, and I want a little bit of oomph to it. I just want a little bit of an edge to say, how dare you impugn my character? I speak for family life. I was an interim teaching pastor. <laughs> so what's my motivation? To confront a sister in the Lord and speak truth and love? No. Number three, what is the best way to speak the truth to this particular person. Oh, man, this is not going to be an email, right? This is not going to be an email conversation. Third, last, check the circumstances, timing, setting, and other pressure. So you know what's funny? Uh, I didn't send it. I was too convicted. I didn't send it. Then I went back and I read her entire email. It was quite long. At the very end, she said this. It was at your conference that my husband confessed to a pornography addiction. And it just crushed her. So imagine that. Now that's her filter now. When she listens to me talk about pornography, it's ding. And she's hurt and wounded. Now, i got to be honest with you. There's part of me who's like, but I don't care. I don't care. You don't talk to me that way. Right? But then I thought, but she's my sister in the Lord. She's been hurt. Her world's been turned up down. So what does she really need from me? To confront her or offer comfort? Oh, no, not come on. No. <laughs> I wanted confrontation. So you know what? Uh, I had to do comfort. I'm just so, I'm so sorry. That must be devastating. I'm just so sorry to hear that. And you entrust it to the Holy Spirit, right, at that moment. See, we think the Holy Spirit can't do anything. No, no, Paul says, when your enemy's hungry, feed him. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will heap burning coals as the Holy Spirit sees necessary. But this is a wounded sister in Christ. 
She doesn't need Tim Yohoff to go ballistic on her. I needed to give her the benefit of the doubt, and I'm just really sorry, I'm just sorry, and empathize, not seek to correct her. Next. Uh, am, I, oh, am I willing to receive the truth myself? You know, there's times I say, I get going when I'm up front. I just get going. And there's been times my wife or somebody else has said, Tim, did you mean to say this? And I was like, no. I said that? One time Noreen came up to me and said, honey, you believe in hell, don't you? I was like, yes! What did I say? She said, honey, you said this. And I was like, Noreen, you just need to pay like, better attention. <laughs> then some Campus Crusade for Christ staff members came up and they said, hey, by, by the way, good talk. You believe in hell, don't you? I was like, oh! So you know what? There is a chance I said something in that talk that was not clear and maybe she's right. She just misread it. I need to at least be open to that possibility. I need to be open to the possibility I am dead wrong when it comes to holes in jeans. I could be wrong about that. And I need to be open for your pushback, right? But you need to be open to my pushback. And we just need to have a good conversation and keep the big picture in mind is that, hey, we're a family. And families have disagreements, but we need to remind each other, but hey, I do love you as a brother in the Lord. I do love you as a sister in the Lord. Next. So I want to close with Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved by God, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and practice. Men and women, we live in a world that has lost the ability to talk to each other. Americans have lost the ability to talk to each other. A, a survey came out two years ago that said 69% of Americans believe that incivility has reached crisis proportions. We don't know where to turn. So I think people need to look to the church to say, here are Christians who can bitterly disagree, but at the same time speak in such a way that it's gentle with grace as we speak, but we still hold the line, we still believe things. So let's clothe ourselves with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's hard to do. What do we do? We look to Jesus. How Jesus treated us, we treat other people. So let's have a time of reflection right now. I'm going to ask the worship team to come out. What's that? Oh, yeah. Oh, just do communion? Okay. Yeah, we're late. We're going to come. Thank you, Andy. Um, that was a really gentle way of doing that. Thank you. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to do four worship songs. We're going to ask you to reflect. And here's the great thing. Regardless where you're at, regardless if you've been sitting there thinking, man, I have let bitterness take root. I have talked in such uncharitable ways to other people. The communion table is still here for you. God's grace is still here for you. So as we play these worship songs, would you please come up and partake of the Lord's table? And if you have prayer requests for relationships that need God's healing, would you please just offer these prayer requests right now? But come to the Lord's table regardless of the state you're in. And, uh, and those of you who feel like I've so blown it, I'm not worthy of the table, please come and receive Jesus' grace. Let me pray for us and then we'll worship. Jesus, thank you for your kindness, your love, your grace towards us. Uh, thank you that you died for us. What Paul said, while still sinners, you died for us. I pray that we could show grace to each other. Help us to worship right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, a lot to think about. Now listen, if you're feeling under, under the pile, if you're feeling like, man, I have messed up so many conversations, just know that you're in good company.
Uh, I remember leaving a marriage conference I was at with my wife, and you know, she speaks with me, but she often is sitting there listening to me. And I felt really convicted this one conference, and we're walking out, and I said, Noreen, I'm so sorry I do like half of everything I just said up there. And Noreen said to me, half? (laughs) (laughs) So I want to extend grace to you, uh, to embrace that grace, but to pass that grace on to other people. So Father, uh, we walk in grace. We receive the grace that Jesus gave us, that while we were at our worst, he died for us. I pray that we could take that understanding, that compassion, that grace, and give it to the people that we come in contact with today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.